This is Living Catholic with Father Don Wolf. Living Catholic is a fresh look at issues confronting each of us today. This show deals with living Catholic, what that means for Catholics, as well as the impact on the rest of society. You certainly don't have to be Catholic to enjoy this show. And now your host, Father Wolf. Welcome, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor at St. Eugene in Oklahoma City. And here we are. Lent is upon us. Ash Wednesday is this week. If you've not yet done so, go to your parish website or call the parish and find out when the services will be on Ash Wednesday. You want to be able to participate in this, the most attended non-Sunday of the year next to Christmas. And you want to know what time it is so you can get there in time. But here it is upon us. Lent is the penitential time of the year when, during the 40 days, we turn our hearts more and more to the presence of the Lord Jesus in our lives and the truth of his gift of salvation to us. What we want for Lent is a converted heart. That's what it all is about. The most common way to achieve this is to make the effort to perform some penance, some intentional act that aids us being in touch with the truth of our lives. It's this truth about ourselves that becomes the basis for renewal in Christ. Because the truth is that we often live amidst falsehood and darkness when it comes to knowing who we are and who we have become. Very often, we don't know ourselves at all. And not knowing, we end up thinking and deciding in ways that are destructive and unhelpful. While we might think of this confusion about our identity as some kind of deep theological point of view, we actually see it all around us. And you know, to tell you the truth, most deeply theological points are really things we see around us all the time. But that's another story. It's what we see, for example, when a family or a company is deeply concerned about the dysfunctional behavior of one of its members. They often plan what they call an intervention with him or her. This is so that the person becomes aware of the destructive behavior of his or her life and begins to accept responsibility for addressing it, usually in very dramatic ways. Often, the person is aware of the behavior, sort of, but is not aware of its effect or its, uh, how destructive it is in his or her life or its effect on others. That person just doesn't know about his or her life. It's a mystery to them. But it's not just with drama and tears that we become aware. How often have you heard from somebody some comment from them or a description of your behavior and find out you've been doing something your whole life that surprises you? Maybe you've been unappreciative of your spouse. Or perhaps you use words and expressions that are dismissive or offensive to another person, and you didn't know it. You were just blind to all of it until someone told you. Or perhaps you review your life one day, thinking about how things have been for you, and then you realize that there's a kind of pattern of behavior in your life, some situation you've always fallen into, or some person that you've always fallen for, and you realize that it's something that's been there your whole life. You just haven't realized it before. It's a surprise to you, and maybe even worse. You've just begun to see it in yourself while it appears that everybody else has known it about you for years. Learning about ourselves and bringing the gift of Christ to our lives that we come to know is what this time is for. And often it happens only as we interrupt the normal flow 
only as our heads are turned in a slightly different direction do we end up seeing what's really there. We need the chance to see in the words of T.S. Eliot, the chance of coming home and knowing it for the first time. That happens when we see it from a slightly different direction. So it's not a surprise that one of the disciplines of Lent we're all invited into is to go to confession. It's a way of opening our lives in a way we don't usually, or at least we don't usually do, unless we're going to confession regularly. But this is the chance to make it happen, this reorientation of life that can make our Lent fruitful. And before you get too nervous or too anxious or too negative or too concerned about confession, I want to answer some of the questions that normally come up when we talk about this sacrament. So as you consider what Lent can mean to you, think about going to confession and think about the normal excuses that might come up in your mind as you address this opportunity. This is the time when we go to confession. So we'll take a little break here. I'd like to mention our premier sponsor, McLaren's Pantry. You can give Kathy Busson there a call for your catering needs. You can call her at 405-348-2336 or go by and visit with her at 3414 South Boulevard in Edmond. Back in just a moment. Welcome back, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor at St. Eugene here in Oklahoma City. So to the number one question, why go to confession? You know, it's not an idle one. One of the attitudes I run into all the time is that we Catholics are somehow burdened by this expectation. Everybody else gets to have their sins forgiven without all the fuss and bother. Why isn't – that isn't what I learned in first grade from Sister Rosanna – it, what we learned, in fact, was the opposite. But the attitude I run into today is is in this direction. Why do I have to do this? Why is it that when we Catholics start talking about forgiveness of sins, do we lean into the expectation that we'll go into the confessional, kneel down, and tell our sins to a priest? Wouldn't it be a lot easier to do what others do and just be forgiven? Well, I'm not always sure what others, in fact, do to experience the power of forgiveness, we'll leave that to another day as well. After all, we're talking about what we're going to do to make the most out of this Lent this year. But it's a good question. Why? And the easiest thing to do, of course, is to acknowledge that we do have a warrant for it in the Scriptures. We're commanded in the letter of James to, in James chapter 5, verse 16, to confess our sins one to another. That's what it says. I know it's not exactly a ringing endorsement of what's going on in the sacrament, but it's also a command that comes to us directly from an apostle who's describing his expectations of the Christian life. And if we aren't confessing our sins out loud to somebody at some time, we've got some explaining to do about how we're living faithful to the scriptures that we say we believe in. So there is the scriptural admonition we're supposed to confess. But that's a pretty weak answer. I've never found anybody who's been convinced that they should start lining up at the confessional because they want to be faithful to the Bible, or at least to that phrase. I've actually had several occasions in which people have talked to me and challenged me about my role as a confessor and as one who celebrates the sacraments. 
They seemed to be incensed that the Catholic Church would practice such a thing and that I would participate. And when I cite the scripture to them, they look it up, and and they've always said, hmm, I, I didn't know that was there. But when they do see it, they don't do anything about it. So it's not what you'd call a slam dunk. So we have to come at this another way if we're going to explain what we're doing. And we have to begin with this one fact. Underline this. God desires to forgive our sins. In fact, to accomplish the forgiveness of sins and to heal the brokenness that is ours, God sent his only son to die on the cross for our salvation. This is the testimony of Jesus, of his disciples, of the church, and of the scriptures. It is our faith and our profession. Jesus died for our sins. Now, let us take note. Jesus died for our sins when he died on Calvary Hill outside the walls of Jerusalem in the year 33. His death accomplished the promise of God in all humanity and effected the work of reconciliation with the Father that had been the covenant with Israel from the beginning. And the promise of the life of reconciliation leading into a new kind of life happened in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died and was raised. He ascended to the Father and is seated with him at the right hand. This has all taken place as we profess. Now, that's the point to hold on to. This has all happened already. That's our faith. So we believe and so we live. And so we also know we have been forgiven our sins. And the work of this forgiveness took place 20 centuries before we were born. The concern we have isn't whether God is going to deign to extend his forgiving love to us in our particular sins. We're not worried whether God will take the time to notice our predicament and to heal our rupture with the law of God and the promise of life we've received as our inheritance in the faith. No, the principal concern is on the other side of things. Our principal concern is whether we can receive the forgiveness that we've been offered. It's there for us if we can get to it. But that's the problem, you know, getting to it. It's the same problem we have about the mysteries of our lives. When we're blind to our patterns and our weaknesses, we just don't know what's going on in our lives. And when we finally wake up and see what's there, it's breathtaking to note that this hidden part of life has been there the whole time. It was right there, and yet we didn't know it. We didn't have the window clear enough to see it, no matter how hard we looked. The sacrament of confession exists in order to make forgiveness. This truth of our universe, the truth of the faith, and the truth of our lives, this sacrament exists in order that forgiveness be available to us. That's what it's all about, making sure we can find it when we need it and when we look for it. It's been there all along. It's been our inheritance since before we were born. Our biggest challenge is in making it a part of our lives, bringing it to ourselves. It might seem to be obvious, but it's not. You know, last week I spoke about how there can be a universe of meaning and truth floating around us, but without sufficient chance to experience it, we can be deaf to it. I use the example of music. We can turn on the radio or activate an app and begin listening to just about any piece of music ever recorded. But unless we're willing to open ourselves to study and to deepening our musical experience, we could miss the most important parts of what we're listening to. It's the same with the promise of Christ. We could miss the whole point, and God knows we're geniuses at doing that. 
Since the offer of forgiveness has been ours, the concern we face is how to make it ours. And the church found out a long time ago that one of the principal ways this can happen is through the experience of confession. When a person confesses, when she opens her heart and tells another person in her life, when she forms the words to actually uncover the hidden parts of her life, there's something that happens to her. It's this event, this dynamic that allows the gift of forgiveness to be encountered in a way that's just not available any way else. Just look around. We live in a society in which people love to confess. It's a kind of mania of ours. People in People magazine, they're in there confessing their problems and their sins. They're on TV and talk shows and podcasts and just about every other venue talking about the things that they've done wrong. It's an industry worth more than, what, machine tools. We love to hear people confess, which is a way to note that confessing isn't something the Catholic Church invented in order to keep people chained to priests and to sacraments. It's a human dynamic that we all know and we all understand. And if we don't get enough of it, we find ways to make sure that it's a part of our lives. Thus, the TV programs, the podcasts, the radio, the magazines. It's this dynamic the church is tapping into in its sacramental life. We're hungry to confess about our lives because we're hungry to be known. We want to be known. It's one of the deepest desires in the human heart. If you read the literature of true crime, you run across the phenomenon of the criminal who leaves clues about his identity and his crime, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but it's because he wants the world to know who he is. That's just a version of all of us. We all long to be known, and so we confess. Do you know what often happens when a person's not going to confession in years and years? I've seen it happen often at retreats. A person will enter the confessional and talk to the priest. He'll unburden his heart with the sins and shame and darkness that he's carried around solo for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. Sometimes it's a burden he can hardly even dare to speak because it's so hard for him. He'll finally get it off his heart. He'll lay his burden down and receive the gift of forgiveness. And before you know it, he'll go out and stand up in the middle of the crowd of those at the retreat, and he'll tell them everything. He wants to be known, and he has experienced in the gift of confession the food for the hunger that he's had for decades. It's so powerful, he wants it again and again. He wants to be known. Not only that, there's a kind of energy that accompanies this power of confession. It's like a gate that opens up. When this gate to the heart that has been guarding the secrets and pains and sins of the heart, when it opens, then not only do, do those pains and sins have a chance to leave, then other things can finally get in. Truths that have been waiting outside the heart have the chance to come into a person's heart. Until the gate is open, they can't penetrate. Truths wait on the outside like God's love is greater than our sins that God wants all men to come to salvation, that we are made in the image and likeness of God, an image that is the original blessing of the Creator and is our continued gift from God, a truth like we have all sinned, everyone, but in Christ we have a Savior, and others. Those float around in our world, and they knock at the gates of our heart, 
but they don't get in until the gate that holds our sin and shame, until that gate is opened. That's why we go to confession. The other questions are like this primary question. Can't I just stay home and talk to God in my room? Why do I have to go to a priest for confession? Of course, God's forgiveness is a fact of life, and God wants nothing more than to forgive. And if it were that easy, wouldn't we find forgiveness more often than we do? Think about that. If reconciliation with God were something blindingly easy, would the world be consumed by the difficulties of that, that it now has? Pause for a moment and think about the source of drama and difficulty in the world. Do we really think forgiveness is simply right there to pick up and then put down like a pencil? I don't think so. If you want a dramatic presentation of how difficult it is to make our way to reconciliation, go watch the movie that's still in theaters, Manchester by the Sea. It's a great artistic rendition of a whole family of people who simply cannot find a way to forgive one another and to be forgiven. And, you know, in the movie, they're all Catholics. This is a human problem, not a Protestant problem. If it were so easy to construe forgiveness in all of its intricacies, would it have taken the death of God's Son to achieve it? So why would we think that we can access it all on our own without a moment's hesitation or a moment's worry? Remember, God wants to forgive. Can we get there? That's the question. And that question has always had an aspect to it that's bothered me. If I insist that I can talk to God on my own and clear things up and be forgiven without the slightest difficulty or the slightest effort so that I don't need to do anything else, how do I access such an experience? Remember, what we always dread when we line up and go into the confessional is talking to the priest and telling him my sins. But, you know, he's just a man. He's the one empowered by the church to enact this sacrament. But in the long run, he's just another guy. And it's his job to reconcile and to forgive. God, on the other hand, is the creator of the universe, the origin and sustainer of all things. If it's so difficult to speak to a priest, why is it so easy to speak to God? If we hold back from one who's there to listen and offer only the fullest part of what God offers— and we're nervous in his presence or anxious about his response, then why the ease with the God of all life? This is what I suspect. It's easy to talk to God in this circumstance because we end up often simply talking to ourselves. It's not pretty to acknowledge, but I think it's often the truth. So can I just talk to God and say I want to be forgiven? Sure, anybody can. But do you have access to that offer? that comes from the depth and the power and the intricacy of God's gift of reconciliation. Another question. What if I keep go to confession and keep saying the same old things? The answer, of course, is, well, fine. Just keep saying them. Obviously, those are sins for which you need to be reconciled. You've not yet received the fullness of God's comprehensive forgiveness in new life. There's still a ways to go. By going to confession, you keep closing the gap. So keep closing it. Just know this one thing that spiritual directors eventually um, get to with all of us. That is, 
One way that we hide from the sins of our lives is to continually focus on one weakness or one failing. So by continually looking there in that one place, we can safely ignore other parts of our lives until we just don't notice that they're there anymore. It's a slick little trick, which is why we keep using it. Keep confessing the sins and failings you experience, but explore the contours of the fullest truth in your life. Make sure the gates open up all across your heart so that the forgiveness of God seeps into every part. Finally, why does God need this? Of course, the answer to that is God doesn't need this sacrament. We're not abasing ourselves by confessing our sins. We're not doing penance or punishment for being bad by opening our lips and our hearts to tell the truth of our lives to another. This exists so that God's goodness, which is present everywhere, can get to us. If we were angels and were pure spirits, we would need no intermediary to experience the fullness of God's initiative. We could live inside of truth as we now live inside of houses or marriages or families. But we're not angels. We are men and women. We have all of the obstacles and challenges of living in our fallen world. This sacrament exists so people like us have a way into what God offers. Confession is one of the disciplines of Lent. If we choose to make this season, these 40 days, a chance for something new, we might find that we ourselves have been made new in Christ. That's what Lent is for. It's what we are invited to. It's what our lives can become, this new way of being a part of this new promise. Back in just a moment. Welcome to our final segment, Faith in Verse. We have a poem today called Jim. He appeared once. It was graduation day, standing in robes and sandals, holding a homemade staff, not John the Baptist or Diogenes, but a fellow graduate from the year before who had gone off the rails. Drugs, probably, they said, but who knows? He was a philosophy major, but he was fragile. It seemed by then everyone had known it before, could see the oak in the acorn. He stood there, his blue eyes staring beyond the faces, reciting a modern litany, the evils of meat, the traitorous government, no real human should be wearing a leather belt. We all held our breath and waited for the adults to handle him. They would know what to do with a guy like that. At least in my trust of them, I left. And he wandered away, having blessed his alma mater with his alma infirma, to walk the steady road to some white corridor with locked doors. It was not truth, he saw, distilled from the fermented efforts that produce it, but only the reflections on his glasses when he looked. That's the terrifying revelation, not about meat or Nixon or sartorials, our surest certainty might only be what we're seeing when we look, reflection, from the lenses we're wearing. 
That's Jim. Lent is the time, of course, when our lives, we have the invitation to to wake up and to take things a little more seriously, which is often what the content or the contours of the penances we choose really are, to wake us up for a little bit. So don't be discouraged. We still have time enough to decide on some little thing. It doesn't have to be some gigantic penance. We don't have to, uh, oh, give up, uh, um, you know, eating three days a week or something extreme or gross like that. Simply the smallest change can produce some of the greatest possible fruits because it allows us to see and to accept a part of our lives we just haven't seen before. It's something that we'll keep exploring on Living Catholic. Living Catholic is a production of Blue Cardinal Concepts, copyright 2017.